morning. Love is in the air, man. Amen. Because God's here, right? God is love. We're going to look at that again today. But love is what God is all about. I know sometimes we start thinking, I know it's close to Valentine's Day, and we start thinking that it's about, you know, emotions and feelings and warm, warm fuzzies and all that. And it's really not. It's about God. God is love. And so we're going to kind of dig in. We've got a lot to cover today because, as, as they've already shared with you, we have a vow renewal at the end for those of you who are willing to take that step. Now, some of you are probably going, you know, hey, don't get me up there in front of everybody. You're more worried about what people might see rather than what you might want to uh, commit to. Too often we let other people's thoughts and things hold us back from what God has for us. And so I just want to challenge you just to don't worry about those things. But if anything, folks, God, what do you have for me? And so I want us to look into God's Word again today. We're looking uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is the greatest. Love is the greatest. And so if I could speak of all the, all the languages of earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. And three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So we've been in this uh, series two, two weeks now. Today is the second part of it. And we talked about what love is and maybe what love is not. And so some of the things that we do is love does. It's not just a warm feeling. It's not warm, a warm fuzzy. It is an action. It is something that we do. So love is, is moving. Love is serving. Love is giving. Love is forgiving. And so what we've learned to do, or hopefully we will apply, is we won't just agree with that, but we'll say, you know what, I need to do those things. Last week we ended with, I want to live a life of forgiveness, choosing to forgive, choosing to, to, to release those things that I'm holding against someone. And maybe some of you, maybe last week was the beginning, I'm beginning to understand how much God truly loves us and how much He has forgiven us, and so therefore we feel the need, and we see, you know what, to really, really understand what real love is, is to forgive Others, those who have wounded us. In First John 4, 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love, does not love, does not know God, for God is love. And so the thing is, is we really can't love anybody until we really have this right relationship with God. You might have affections for them. You might even you might even lust after them. There may be some other things that you do, but as far as really loving someone, we can't do that apart from God. We can't do it in our in our just in our own physical makeup. We're just not that wired. 
And, and so the thing is, is that's one reason that we realize, you know, to truly love someone, I need to understand God's love. I need to understand what God's plan is, God's will, God's purpose, God's, God's perfect person for me. And so the more that we understand who God is in our relationship with Him, the more that we grow in our understanding of His love, it shows us how to love others. And so that's what real love is, is loving others, whether or not they fully love us or not. Loving our enemies. We talked about that last week. And so love is of God. It comes from God. And God is love. And so let's look at some things today as we work through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. Love does rejoice in the truth. Love does rejoice in the truth. Last week we talked about love, uh, you know, hates evil. God hates evil. God hates sin. But love does rejoice in the truth. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. And so the thing is, is the truth, when the truth comes to the surface, there's a rejoicing. There is freedom. You know, and, and, and so God is, is making it clear here in Scripture that, man, He rejoices when truth wins out. How many times last week did we read that God hates lies? A lying tongue. But He loves truth. And so God is truth. And so God loves for us to, to, to literally experience truth, speak truth, speak life, and speak it over people. Jesus said this, Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus also said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only is God love, God is truth. And so Jesus is literally the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And so Jesus is literally, He is truth. I am the way, He's the only way to God. I know that's an exclusive statement, but in this world, we often hear people say, well, I think there's lots of ways to get to heaven. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. One of the most exclusive statements ever made. And some people are offended by that and bothered by that. that God, that's God's decision, not ours. And so Jesus is just, he, he is living out what God had, had told him to do. And so Jesus even said, hey, listen, my will is to do the will of the Father. And so Jesus came to provide a way that we might be in right standing with God. And so the truth, He is the way. The only way to a right relationship with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's by faith. It's not by works. It's not by knowledge. It's not by anything that we might do to, to have bragging rights to say, well, you know, I serve more than you do, so therefore, you know, I'm, I'm a child of God. That's not how we get there. I know more about the Bible than you do, so therefore I'm a child of God. It's not bragging rights. It's not anything that we can boast about. But if anything, it's our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. It's what Jesus did when He defeated death, and He defeated the grave, and He defeated sin, and He defeated hell. And so the thing is, is when we look back, we go, you know what? God rejoices when the truth wins out. When the truth comes to the surface, there's freedom. The truth will set you free. Jesus, whenever He was praying for all the believers, we often think about the Lord's Prayer. But really, the Lord's Prayer... If we want to look at it this way, is John chapter 17. The, the whole chapter of 17 is about Jesus praying for the disciples. And He's praying for the ones who will come as a result of their message. Who is that? That's us, right? So Jesus is praying for us. In John chapter 17, He's praying for all believers that will hear the gospel and respond by faith. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I want you guys to receive this. And God, I want you to watch over them, protect them, guard them. And so let's read what he says in John chapter 17. Jesus praying for all believers. He says, I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world. 
I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. God's word is truth. You know, and I say this all the time, but whenever we read God's word, it reads us. How many times have you read a passage and as you're reading that passage, you begin to come under conviction? Wednesday night we had a, we had a, a great service in here for first Wednesday and we ordained two men. And uh, one of those guys was Billy Davis and, and Billy was sharing with tears, if you know Billy, but he was sharing. He said, you know what? I hope that I never get to the point where I don't feel conviction. I mean, that's a great heart. Every one of us ought to have that mentality to where we're going, you know, God, I, I want to feel conviction. I want to be bothered by the lies and the deception of the evil one. I want to be bothered by sin to the point that I'm broken over my sin, that I want to be repentant. I want to be repentant. I want to turn to you, God. I want to turn from what I'm in. Rather than justifying our sin, this is what we have a tendency to do. We want to justify our sin. Well, if they hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done this. If, you know, and we still want to, we want to justify it. But if they hadn't pulled out in front of me, I wouldn't have got mad. You know, whatever we want to use, but we justify our sin. And the thing is, is we ought to be broken of our sin and come to God with that. And we said it before, man, what we confess, what we uncover, God says He'll cover with His grace and His mercy. But what we try to hide, you know, we think, hey, well, I'll hide this. I'll just tuck this away. God says He'll bring it out into the light for everyone to see. And for everyone to see. And, and so we've got to be willing to say, God, I want you to search me. I want you to, to show me truth. God, I want you to convict my heart. I want to literally be bothered by my sin. Not okay with it. Not justifying it. And not saying, hey, well, that's what they do. Or they do worse than I do. But being bothered by our sin. And so Ephesians 4, 25-27 says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are, we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Maybe in your relationships. You know, you, you go home. You know, and you get into an argument. Maybe you guys got into one on the way here. You're thinking, well, well I was going to do the vow renewal, but not now. Now I'm done. You know, or whatever. And so, so maybe you're, you got into an argument. But the thing is, is we've got to be willing to forgive. Because you know what? There will be something else that will push our button at some point. And how many guys would agree with this? Our spouse knows how to push our button better than anybody. Anybody want to get an amen on that? I mean, somebody couldn't get your hand fast up. Yeah, yeah. Mine especially, over here. So, but here's the thing. They can push our buttons like nobody, right? But the thing is, is, and Laura and I have, we have wrestled with this through the years because I'm one of those, hey, if, if we're not right, I want to get it right tonight. Laura's like, I don't want to talk right now. You know, she, and I'm like, no, no, we need to talk through this. No, no, I don't want to talk right now. I don't feel like talking right now. And so we have to come to the, you know, and there's been times we would be up late and there's times we would go to bed angry with one another. The Bible says, hey, don't go to bed angry with one another. But it says, hey, to work it out. If you have to stay up all night, stay up all night, but work it out. Come to that point because what you do is you give the devil a foothold. And all it takes is a little bit of separation, a little bit of separation, a little bit of separation. And all of a sudden, man, you're, you're, you're at, at, at odds with one another. And you feel like, well, they're not there for me. or They don't care about me or they're not listening to me or whatever. And all of a sudden, you're just giving the devil a foothold. And the devil's like, all right, good. Well, there's a crack. I'll work my way in. It's kind of like our kids. You know, when our kids are little, they'll come to you and they'll ask for something. And, and if they feel like, and usually they're going to go to the pushover. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whoever the pushover is, that's where they go to. And if you say yes or no without talking to your spouse, then they go, all right, there's a little bit of a crack there. 
If they see that mom and dad have a little bit of a wedge or a little bit of crack, often our kids, will, you think, not my kids. Oh, yes, your kids. And so what they'll do is they'll try to work it to their, to their leverage. And so whichever one, hey, I'm going to go ask mom if I can go to this because she's the pusher. I'm going to go ask dad because he gives me everything I want. Then they're going to go there first. And then it causes a problem. And if they feel like there's a risk, the kids will use that to their advantage. That's, that's what kids do. I don't know if y'all know that. I did that. I mean, I, you know, that's what you do is you work the leverage. And so Satan does the same thing. He finds a, he finds a crack. And then he said, hey, listen, there's a little bit of a gap there. It's a foothold for him. And a foothold is like if you were mountain climbing, you were rock climbing. What you're doing is you're trying to find something to grab hold to, something to put your foot on so, so you can kind of get deeper and deeper into that situation. And that's what you do is whenever you don't deal with the anger. And, and the Bible makes it clear. We talked about it last week. If you're walking around with bitterness, anger, resentment held up within you, you're giving the devil a foothold. You're, you're saying, hey, Satan, come on in and ruin my marriage. Satan, come on in and ruin my relationships. Come on in and ruin my relationships with anybody. If you're hanging on to that bitterness and that anger and that resentment. But you're giving the devil a foothold. Look at what it says in Psalms 25.5. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. All day long I put my hope in you. We said this last week, you know, love trusts. It always trusts. In Job, there's a, there's a passage in Job where Job, and if you know the story of Job, Job has lost everything. He's had a bad day. You know, I mean, you know, as one, as one guy is telling him, hey, listen, man, all, you know, everything you've had is lost. Hey, all your family's been killed. Hey, I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. And, and so it's a horrible day. But if you read in Job, it says, though you slay me, still I will trust you. And so what Job is saying is that, God, even if you take my life, I will trust you. My hope is in you. God, my trust is in you. If you even take my life, if you, if you slay me, I will trust you. How many of you really trust God like that? That you lean into God and that you trust Him. You trust His Word. You trust His truth. Do you lean into Him in such a way that you go, you know what? You have saved me, and so I'll put my hope in you. I want to live according to your truths. All day long I put my hope in you. For I am always aware of your unfailing love, and I have lived according to your truth. Psalms 26.3 Truth. Truth will set you free. And there may be some things in your life that you feel like you've had hidden for a long time. I had someone the other day said, you know what, I, I was going to take that to my grave. But I, had, I felt like I had to be truthful. He said it felt like a, a burden, like a thousand pounds lifted off of me. And sometimes, you know, and we, you know, we say, you know, well, you might, I, I can't be truthful about this. And I, I think there's times, you know, we have to be wise. I mean, your wife walks in and says, hey, do I look fat in this dress? I mean, guys have to be, you know, well, not too bad or what, you know, however you say it. But you, you know, you can't be completely truthful. I mean, you don't say you look like a cow in that thing. Man, I wouldn't wear it if I were you. I mean, that'd get you in trouble, right? But there, there's times you have to be selective on what truth you share and how you share that. But the thing is, is truth will set you free. It will get you killed in some, in some situations with your wife. I see some of y'all nodding your head. But the thing is, is you've got to be truthful. Say, hey, well, what else do you have? You know, let's, let's look at something else. All right, so here's another one. Love does always protect. Love does always protect. John 10, 10, most of us know this. It says, the thief comes to only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Satan comes to steal. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. Jesus comes to give. 
Satan comes to take. And so you might think, well, you know, hey, this, this is alluring. This feels good. You know, and this attention that I'm getting or whatever it might be, man, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Jesus' words. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your witness. He wants to kill your, your marriage. He wants to kill your relationships. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead. He wants you dead. Uh, he, he wants to destroy your witness. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to destroy the message of the gospel. He wants to do everything he can to destroy what God is doing. I mean, that's what Satan does. And so for us to go, well, you know, I'm not really worried about Satan. You ought to be. He, he is an enemy that we should know about. Not that we focus on him more than we focus on God. We are victory. We have victory through Jesus Christ. We are victorious. We're on the winning team. But the thing is, is we need to know that there is an enemy who seeks to destroy us. He'll do everything he can to get into our lives, especially our marriages, especially our relationships. I mean, we live in a culture where divorce is the common thing. And so there are marriages that are being destroyed all the time. And so we've got to be willing to say, you know what? Love does always protect. And if we love our spouse, if we love God, and we have the love of God in us, then we're going to do everything we can to protect our marriage. It says, guard your heart above all else. For it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23. In some translations it says, Guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It is the wellspring of life. Satan will do everything he can to destroy your life. And God is saying, hey listen, protect your heart. Guard it with God's word. Because it is the wellspring of life. When we start letting Satan kind of get involved in, in our relationships. And we invite him in and we give him a foothold because we don't want to swallow the pride and, and say, hey I'm sorry. And maybe you're one of those, you're always the last one to say, hey, I'm sorry, you're not protecting your marriage. If it's about pride and ego, about you winning the argument, rather than winning your spouse or winning your marriage, then you've missed God's will for your life. You're more focused on on, on you being right, which is pride, which is ego. And here's the thing, that is exactly what Satan wants you to focus on. So you've taken the bait And you're going, I'm not going to be wrong again. I am not saying I'm sorry again. And what you're doing is you're saying, hey, Satan, I'm focused on you. Because God says, hey, listen, focus on forgiveness. And so if you're always the one that has to be the last one to say that you're sorry, you need a heart change. You need to ask God, God, help me to protect my heart. God, help me to protect my marriage. Help me to protect what we have committed to. God, help me to be more open to what you want rather than what Satan wants. God, give me a focus that matters and and that's going to be focused on the right things. And so love does. It always protects. It's always watching out. You know, I'm one of those kind of safety people. Um, I tell Laura all the time, I said, maybe I should have been a safety inspector or something like that. Because I'm always kind of watching, especially when when the kids are around, and I always think about what could happen. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, all right, somebody's that's an accident waiting to happen. Somebody's fixing to slip down. Somebody's fixing to fall off that. That's fixing to fall on somebody. And so that's the way I think. So my mind kind of goes there. And so what I think is what we ought to do is with our marriage kind of think like that. Hey, listen, if that's going to get me in trouble, if that's going to give me the devil a foothold, if that is going to, you know, kind of give the appearance of evil, we're not going to do that. We're going to avoid that. I'm going to avoid that. And so there are guidelines that we put in our life and in our marriage to say, you know what, I'm guarding against evil. I don't want to even give the devil a foothold. I don't even want to give anybody an opportunity to think something. So let's take those steps. So love does always protect. Here's another. Love does whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Billy Graham 
whenever he would speak, he would not ride in a car with a woman. You know, and especially one-on-one, he would not get in a car with a, a woman. And, and so people knew that whenever you picked him up, it had to be a guy that picked him up. He didn't want to be in a, in a vehicle with a woman uh, alone. And, and so he would not ride in a car with her. And then it was a time whenever he went into a, 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 a motel or something like that, and uh, he'd always say, hey, listen, I don't need, I don't want the TV in there. I don't want it to be, uh, you know, any kind of junk coming in. I, I don't want that. And so they put him in a hotel or a motel one night, and, and it had a TV, and he ripped the cord out of the wall. And uh, he said, you know what, I, I don't want it to be in my life. You know, some of you guys go home and you just live off the TV. Here's a guy who was righteous and godly who said, man, I'll do whatever it takes to keep myself pure so that I can preach the gospel to millions and millions and millions of people. And so we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. You might say, well, this is awkward. That's okay, right? If it protects your marriage, it's okay. You might say, well, my friends don't do this. That's okay, right? Because you know what, hey, maybe your marriage will stay together whenever theirs is falling apart. And so you've got to be willing to say, hey, whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do. It may be awkward. It may seem weird. I, you know, one of the car rental places, I don't remember which one it was, said, hey, we'll pick you up. You might know who that was. Which one was that? Yeah, well, whoever it was, they said, hey, we'll pick you up. So I had to uh, rent a, a vehicle one time for a trip. And anyway, this young, pretty girl comes walking into our office and said, hey, I'm here to pick Mike Mazingo up. And I'm like, oh, no, she's not. <laughs> like, no. And I said, uh, and it was awkward. And I, you know, and, and I said, "Hey, listen, I said, I'm going to have to uh, get someone to take me up there to get the car." And she was like, "No, I'm here to pick you up." I said, "Hey, listen, I, just, just so you understand, I said, I don't get in the car with a lady one on one period." And she looked at me like, "Dude, you ain't got nothing to worry about, you know and, and I'm sitting there thinking, "All right, hey, just for you know just to guard my ministry, that's what I do." And so I had to go find somebody to take me up there to get the car. And, and so you might well that's, that's a little bit awkward. Yeah, it was, and man, it was, it was uncomfortable, but here's the thing is. I, I, my ministry is more important than that. My marriage is more important than that. And so we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And sometimes you have to do whatever it takes. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love does whatever it takes. Love guards and protects. It goes out of the way to protect. Love does what, hey, maybe this wife over here is not doing it. You say, well, you know, his wife doesn't do that. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't do that. All right, her husband doesn't have to do that. Doesn't mean that you're, you shouldn't do that. And so what we do is we start looking at everybody else and we say, hey, what are they doing? No, no, no. Look, hey, God, what do you want me to do? God, show me how to serve my spouse. Show me how to love my wife. How, show me how to love my husband. Show me how to honor and respect one another. How to mutually submit to one another. So, God, I want you to show me, and it may take whatever it takes. You know, one of the things we encourage is we encourage people to go to marriage retreats and marriage conferences. And you might say, well, I've already been to one. Go to one every year. You might say, well, I went, I've already been this year. You might want to go again. I mean, if you're still struggling, go to another one. It's like counseling. Hey, go to counseling. Too often people say, well, you know, we've been to counseling. I had a lady one time. This is the craziest thing. This lady was crazy as a runover dog. Man, I mean, she comes in. She, she's telling me all this stuff. And I said, and I just asked her, I said, have you ever been to counseling? And she goes, yes, I went once. The lady said there was nothing wrong with me. I said, you went to a bad counselor. That's all I can tell you. And so here's the thing, a counselor, the first session, they're just listening. They're taking in information. They're not going to be able to tell you, hey, man, you're perfectly fine. You're good. Because a lot of times it's like an onion. You're taking layer after layer after layer after layer off. And then they get to the point and they realize, hey, here's the issue. And so some of you say, well, I've, I've been to counsel. We tried counsel. Well, try it again. You know, I mean, do whatever it takes to save your marriage. Do whatever it takes to guard and protect your marriage. Do whatever it takes. There's a question here. It says, why do couples wait for a crisis to work on their marriage? 
Why don't we do that? Why don't we wait for a crisis to work on our marriage? I don't think anybody gets married thinking, hey, you know what, we're just going to have a so-so marriage. We're just going to have an okay marriage. We're going to have a marriage that, you know, we kind of get along. Whenever you guys get married, you know, you're, you're probably thinking, man, this is the love of my life. It is going to be amazing. You know, and, and, and so I can remember watching Laurie walk down the aisle. Man, I was mesmerized. I was like, man, she is so beautiful. And I was thinking, it's going to be awesome. You know, and, and it was. And, it, and, it's, and it's been an incredible marriage. But, man, we've had to work through things. And, you know, but we, what we do is we, we think back to that day and we think about how in love we were. And, and the thing is, is oftentimes we kind of drift, don't we? We get focused on other things. We get focused on our career. We get focused on maybe our children. And so what happens a lot of times is, you know, the guy or the girl, maybe they get focused on their career and it's more about their career and they, and they don't really invest in the relationship like they did in the beginning. They're not as intentional with their time. They're not intentional with their words. They're not intentional with their affections. And they kind of begin to have this little drift and maybe it's a little bit of a rift in between, giving the devil a foothold again. And so maybe for each of you it's about your career or about going to school or whatever it might be. And, so, and a lot of times, like I said, when kids come along, this is what happens, maybe, especially the mom can, can get this way. It's not always the mom, but sometimes it's the mom. Her focus is on the kids. It's all about the kids. And it, because God gives that motherly instinct, it becomes about the kids. But here's the thing. If you're putting too much attention into your children and not into your marriage, you're not giving your kids what they need the most. And so, moms, I, let me just say this. This may be offensive to some of you. You're not the most important thing in your kid's life. I know you may think you are, but you're not. God is. God is the most important thing in your kid's life. It's not you. And I'll tell you this. You're not even the second most important thing. And this really may offend some of you. But it's both of you. Every child needs a mom and a dad to be involved in their life and engaged. Every child needs a mom and a dad that love each other. That chase after each other. That they literally love one another in front of their child to the point of where the kids go, you know what, I want a marriage like that. The greatest thing that you could give your child is not an education, you know, and it's not great clothes, not a great car. It is letting them see that, you know what, you are committed and engaged in your, in your marriage relationship. And your kid will grow up with stability and they'll be, they'll be confident in who they are. And if it's a godly relationship, they'll grow up in their confidence in God and their hope will be in Him. And so I'm just telling you, don't think that you're the most important thing because you're not. And what I see so often is the focus becomes the kids rather than God and the marriage. And then dads, I'll say the same thing to you. It's not, you're not the most important thing either. And, and I'll just say this, it's not your hobbies either. Too often we spend so much time on our hobbies. How many deer have we killed or ducks have we killed or fish have we caught or how, how far we hit a, a golf ball or maybe we got a hole in one. You know what, whenever you're dead and gone, your kids really won't care about some of that stuff. They may want your guns, that'd be about the only thing. But I'm just saying, they won't really care about that stuff. What they'll remember is, hey, was my dad a godly man? Did he love my mom? Did he serve her? Did he care for her? Did he respect her? Did he honor her? And so what I'm saying is we, we leave a legacy whenever we begin to say, you know what, it's not about my hobbies. And it's, not, and it's not about the children. It's about loving God and honoring God with my marriage and in my relationship. It says marriage is about God and glorifying God. It's about becoming holy and sanctified. It's about seeking His will for a spouse and once married, glorifying Him as a couple. That's what marriage is about. So we think marriage, hey, it's about sex. No, it's not. Marriage is about, hey, two incomes. No, it's not. Marriage is about having babies. No, it's not. Marriage is about glorifying God. And all the other is blessings that God pours out 
in that marriage. But the, the marriage relationship should be about honoring Him and glorifying Him and pointing people towards Him. I mean, even, you know, we as a, as a couple is a picture of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. And so part of our, our marriage is part of our witness. And it's, it's critical that we do that. Love does last forever. This last part here. Love does last forever. It says prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. I posted that a while ago on, on Facebook. And I'm sure some people probably thought, well, he don't know what he's talking about. Love does not last forever. Maybe they, they've been through a divorce. Maybe they were in a relationship with someone and, you know, and it, didn't, it didn't work out. If that's your mentality of love, then you, you know, you're probably right. But love, who is God, lasts forever. And we, we will spend an eternity in one of two places, in a place with God called heaven, or separated from God in a place called hell. And God loved you so much, He sent His one and only Son to die for you that you might have eternal life. Jesus said this, He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We put our faith in Christ and we receive Christ. He comes and lives within us. And here's the thing. He places the Holy Spirit within us. And here's what I love about that. The very presence of God is within us as believers. And so what do we have in this? Within us, we have love. We have love that is always trying to work its way out through service and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and joy. We can go through the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are the love of God being birthed in us and being shared with the people around us. And, and so when we... We look at that, we go, you know what? Love lasts forever, for eternity. The very presence of God within us is always trying to work its way out through, through, through God's fruits of the Spirit. Let me just say this, a successful marriage is a committed, is committed to a Christ-centered relationship. A Christ-centered marriage will make it. A Christ-centered marriage will make it. And you might say, well, Mike, we're both Christians. That doesn't mean you're Christ-centered. There's plenty of times whenever we see couples that they both claim to be Christians, they both claim to be followers of Christ, but they are so selfish and self-centered. And man, everything about life is about them. It's about their career. It's about the kids. It's about everything but Christ. Even though they claim to be Christians, there's no Jesus in the center of it. And so the thing is, is that marriage will crumble and it will fall. But a Christ-centered marriage takes work. I mean, it's hard. A Christ-centered marriage is tough. Here's a couple things I would just throw out there. This is not in your notes, but I will throw these out there to you. A, a Christ-centered marriage talks to each other. They, talk, they have the tough conversations. A Christ-centered marriage talks to one another. They talk to each other. They share their feelings. They, they get things out in the open. They read together. They read books together. Maybe you read a book called Love and Respect. Needs of a Man, Needs of a Woman. Uh, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, you maybe, maybe you've gone through a divorce or whatever. Maybe you're dating again. Maybe you read the book, I Do Again. You know, whatever, whatever you, you, you're doing. Here's the thing is, you know, we'll read magazine articles. We, we'll watch TV. But do you read stuff that helps you to grow in your marriage? A lot of times, young couples get married. You know, and we'll go through and I'll talk about expectations. And I'll talk about different things that they need to, to do to prepare for the marriage. And I'm not talking about the wedding day. Too often our focus is, is on the wedding ceremony. And I'm talking about the commitment, the covenant that's being established. And so what I'm saying is, you know, you know, we, we, we'll study to show ourselves approved in something so that we can get more money or maybe another pay scale or something like that or maybe a promotion. But do you study God's Word? Do you study, do you read books that help you to have the best marriage ever? 
And so, like I said, what, what happens a lot of times we get into a crisis and all of a sudden, hey man, I'm reading this book and I'm reading this book or I'm going to this conference or we're going to counseling. Why do we have to wait till we're in a crisis? Why not prepare on the front end and say, you know what? I know the attack is coming. I know the enemy's on its way. You know what? I'm going to do everything I can to move towards being the best spouse that I can be. I can't change my wife, but I can allow God to change me. So we read together. We worship together. Worship together. Going to church together. Spending time together. Maybe, maybe even, like, I can remember when Lori and I were dating, and we were, actually I think we were engaged. And so I can remember driving down the road listening to songs. Now some of those songs would be old now to some of you guys. But listening to those songs and just worshiping, driving down the road, both of us just worshiping God. That's some of my favorite memories. And singing those songs together and just worshiping God and focusing on what He had for us. Worshiping together. Pray together. When was the last time you prayed together? And I know for men in this room, a lot of times it's like, man, praying together, man, that's tough. You know, being that spiritual leader, it's tough. But praying together. Taking your wife by the hand and praying with her. And some of you guys, maybe you're not the best at praying. Ladies, if you, you know, if you need to take the lead on it, take the lead until he can learn how. And some of us freak out when we think, man, I gotta pray out loud. You know, some of our staff through the years, we'll get in staff meeting, we'll go around, we'll pray for y'all's prayer request each week. And some of them are like, do I have to pray out loud? Are you serious? They go into freak out mode. But praying together is a powerful thing. And what you're doing is you're protecting your marriage as you pray. And then here's another one. Find godly mentors. Find some godly mentors to, to spend time with. If you're hanging out with people that don't care about marriage, don't care about each other, that are selfish, mean, hateful, and that's your best friend, find some new friends. Find some godly mentors that their marriage is making it. They're committed to, to the covenant of marriage. They're committed to be godly people. Find some people like that and spend time with them. Marriage is tough. But it can be a tremendous blessing. It's part of God's plan. If you don't have God in the center of your relationship, if you don't have a Christ-centered relationship, I'm just telling you, you're setting yourself up for failure. You'll never love anybody the way that God intends for you to love them. Unless he lives within you. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just maybe ask God. Say, God, where am I at in my relationship with you? Maybe just ask. Say, God, am I saved? Do I have your Holy Spirit within me? Do I have your presence within me? He'll reveal that. Not only does he reveal that, he, he brings conviction in those areas that are sinful. And so maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just, just say, Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I have blown it in so many ways. So, Jesus, I want to ask you to forgive me. I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins. Jesus, will you come into my life? Will you save me? Jesus, by faith, I put my faith in you. Jesus, by faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to change me. I want to quit living the way I've been living. And I want to live for you. That's repentance. And Jesus, I want to give you my life. I want to give you everything. I want to give you every relationship. I want to give you my marriage. Jesus, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. With your presence. With your power. With your healing. With your freedom. And so Jesus with all the faith that I have. I ask you to come and live within me. To save me. 
and to make me part of your family. God, I want to thank you for that right now. There may be some of you in here that you made that decision long ago. But man, you've let sin creep in. Other things have taken focus and center stage in your marriage. And I want to just give you an opportunity just to ask God to forgive you. Say, God, will you forgive me for not being the husband I should have been? For not being the wife that I should have been? For letting other things take center stage in my marriage? Jesus, forgive me for not letting you be the center of my life. Father, forgive me for putting my career ahead of my marriage. Father, forgive me for putting the kids ahead of my marriage. God, forgive me for putting the church or anything that gets in the way of my marriage in front of that. God, the only thing that comes before my marriage is you. And so, God, will you forgive me? His answer is yes, he will. Father, I pray that you would hear the prayers of your people today. God, any of us in here that are in relationships know that, Father, it's easy to lose focus. It's easy to miss what you have in store. And Father, we, we too often get focused on this world, which will pass away. And Father, Satan is always trying to deceive us, always trying to steal from us, always trying to kill us, always trying to destroy what you are doing. So God, we just ask you right now, Father, to move in the hearts of those in this room. Father, draw them close to you. Breathe life into their marriage. Breathe forgiveness into their marriage. So, Father, I pray for just the next few minutes as we do vow renewal. God, that if you want them to come here, you'll draw them here. Father, for each of us in this room, it's our decision. You don't force anything on us. You give us an opportunity. And so, God, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask any of the couples that want to do a vow renewal, I'll lead you through it. But I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand and come here to the front. And, uh, and I'll walk you through vow renewal. So if you're here with your spouse, go ahead and stand up. We've got a couple. Come on down. Anybody that wants to do, go through vow renewal, take your spouse by the hand. Come on down and join us here in the front. Awesome. And how beautiful is that? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and our great groom. He modeled it for us. A lot of things that I've said today may have challenged you. A lot of things that were said today may have brought conviction, which is a good thing. So conviction is a positive thing. Change is a positive thing. Brokenness is a positive thing. But here's the thing I love about all those things. They lead to hope and a future. They lead to life change. They lead to wholeness. They lead to forgiveness. They lead to what God has for us. If you guys will, I want you to face each other. And thank you all for walking down here. And so for the husbands, these are vows. So husbands, I... Um, I'm going to ask you a, a, a series of questions here. Will you reaffirm your commitment to your wife, pledging yourself to her to be faithful, loving, and honorable, and to cherish her according to God's will in the holy bond of marriage? You can say we do, or I do. For the wife, will you reaffirm your commitment to your husband, pledging yourself to, be, to him to be faithful, loving, and honorable, 
to cherish him according to God's will in the holy bond of marriage. All right. So here are the vows. We're fixing to hit them hard. Do you promise, uh, and this is going to be both of you just looking at each other. Do you promise to renew the vows which you made when you first were united in marriage? You can respond by we do. Do you promise to continue to keep the vows and the covenant which you made at your wedding? Do you promise to endeavor to create a Christian environment in your home and to help each other to live, help each other to live godly lives in the Christian service of God's kingdom? Alright, so here's the pronouncement of marriage. Having reaffirmed your faith in and love to each other, acting in my authority as your pastor, I now pronounce you husband and wife, you may now kiss your bride. Guys, we want to pray over you, all right? Father, I thank you for these that have come forward. And Father, this, that, even that step, walking down that aisle, marks a moment. And Father, I pray that it's more than just words that these guys have affirmed here. Father, we know that ceremonies and celebrations oftentimes are short-lived. But God, your word lasts forever. And so God, I pray for every couple that is here. God, that you would fill them with your spirit. God, that you would draw them close today. You would breathe your life into their lungs. Lord, Father, your life into their marriage. And God, that you would lead them down this road towards fulfilling the commitments they have made. God, thank you for these vow renewals that have taken place. And God, I pray they would honor them, maybe better than they ever have before. So God, I pray that you bless every marriage that is represented here. May they live in such a way that would honor you. And God, may they be quick to forgive one another, just as you have forgiven us. And God, may they seek to serve one another and to honor one another in every way possible and do whatever it takes to make it. In Jesus' name, amen.